0: On this episode of Larry the Golf Guy, we talk with Nathan Groob, who is the longtime tournament director of the Travelers Championship in Connecticut. And this one was so much fun for me because, as some listeners may know, I grew up in West Hartford, Connecticut, which is where Nathan lives now. And some of my earliest memories of golf were um, as a young child, Uh, going with my dad to what was then called the Greater Hartford Open at Weathersfield Country Club. And we're going back now 50-plus years. Um, And that tournament has um, evolved into the Travelers Championship, which is at um, the TPC facility um, in um, Central Connecticut. And um, Nathan has been... The leader of this tournament for close to 18 19 years, um, but we talk about how he came to that position growing up in San Diego, um, going to Auburn, trying to walk onto the team there. Funny story about that, and um, how that at a very young age I think it was probably late 20s, 30 at the most. Um, getting this offer to come north with um, his wife Carmen, and I think at that point he had just a two month old child. Um, they had never been to this part of um, the country going to New England, um, but they made the move, and he has been just an uh, outstanding um, tournament director, has just um, built up um, what I still think of as the GHO, but it's the Travelers' Championship, into Uh, just one of the stalwarts on the tour. Um, It's gotten designated event status, now called signature event status, um, under the tour's new structure. Uh, But even before that, he has managed to just get such great fields, even surmounting the challenges of oftentimes not having the most ideal uh, slot in the PGA Tour schedule, usually right after the U.S. Open. So we talk about that whole journey he has made and and kind of how he has um, been so successful um, and, and why and the things they've done to build up the Travelers Championship. So uh, up next on this episode of Larry the Golf Guy, Tournament Director of the Travelers, Nathan Group. Well, welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy. And I am really pl- pleased today to be able to welcome to the program, Nathan Group, who uh, is the longtime tournament director in my old stomping grounds uh, <laughs> in West, in Central Connecticut of what I remember as the Greater Hartford Open. Obviously, it's the Travelers now for a number of years at uh, the TPC course there. But we'll talk about all of that and and kind of how we got to that point in his uh, career and, and go back uh, and give him some background as well. Nathan, thank you so much for making time to join us today.
1: Listen. Thank you for the opportunity, Larry. Appreciate what you do in the in the industry, and I'm happy to be on. Thanks for the time.
0: Uh, my pleasure. So, just to give people a little context in terms of kind of where you come from, if I have my research right, I think you're a California <laughs>
1: native, and um, I believe, if I remember right, you grew up in San Diego. Is that right? I did. Military brat um, down in Southern California. I didn't even know what a season was until I was probably twenty-three. I mean, everything is just one season in Southern California, so obviously a lot of golf was a part of my life. But yeah, SoCal kid. Um, I don't know how I ended up in Connecticut, but I—you can't get me out of here with a crowbar. I love it up here. But uh, yeah, born and raised.
0: Okay, and so talk at San Diego, of course, has such a tremendous golf history. You know, the Billy Caspers on down. So many people mm-hmm. from there. Great, um, uh, great history. How and when were you first introduced to the game of golf?
1: Oh, gosh. Well, okay. So Southern California, I mean, for those of you who've been there, there's a million things to do, right? I mean, the weather is never an issue. So it's either you're surfing or skateboarding or you're fishing or you're playing golf or you're doing stuff. I know nobody's going to be like, oh, we feel so bad for you. (laughs) (laughs) There were just, there were a lot of things to do as, as a kid growing up in Southern California. So with golf, it was one of those things where it was something that you did at, you know, a couple times here and there, but I probably didn't really start getting serious about it. Um, my dad uh, um, was in the Navy at the time; he was retired from active duty, but he was a civilian working for the military, and he actually ran all of the military recreation programs at the naval base in San Diego. So he oh, was the wow. director. He was the director of MWR. So I never knew what that meant until I was probably thirty-eight. You know, but like MWR is morale, welfare, and recreation for the troops and their families. So my dad was—he was in charge of. The golf course and the swimming pools and the bowling alleys, all the stuff that the families the marina you know the whatever the families would come in like all the daycare and child care programs and so um i thought my dad worked at the country club to be honest because in the summers when we were kids we would go to work with him and we would swim and then play racquetball and then play golf and and so all this type of stuff like i said i had no idea what he actually did but um it was the sail Ho golf club it was a little nine hole course that um was right there on the Navy base. And, uh, I just, I mean, I have such fond memories of losing money to my older brother and, um, you know, <laughs> playing with my dad and, um, but it was a little mine hole track that I, I, I just have such great memories of, um, you know, just, I mean, I'm sure everybody has this, right. Your local club that you played at. And you remember the first time you drove, you know that par three, and you're like, yes, yeah. I drove it all the way to the green. You know, it was like yeah. 170 yards or whatever. But right. Um, so, Sailho Golf Club in San Diego at that. NTC was the naval Naval Training Center, Navy base at the time. For um, any of you who, who if your listeners who know that area, but uh, it was great. It was uh, it was uh, it was fun. I remember the first time I shot in the 40s. I thought that I, you know, had broken par, but I also you'll get a kick out of this story. I remember being a high schooler. And, uh, and I'll go back to kind of, you know, my playing and stuff. But I remember, um, there was a set of, uh, beryllium, copper, ping, I two irons. Yeah. And, uh, one of the ladies in the shop said, Hey, this junior, from LA just sold these his dad's in the military and you know he sold these and we got them down here you know part of the thing and this kid Tiger Woods he's a freshman in high school you know and he <laughs> sold these clubs and I was like whatever you know <laughs> to this day I remember exactly where those beryllium copper ping i2 irons were and I had a chance to buy them and I didn't so oh. I, am, I, am an, I am an idiot but he, you know he grew up actually just you know just north of me but right um, right lots, Cyprus, of memories, yeah. lots of memories exactly. from, from sail was uh, it was a great little club
0: Awesome. Did so. Did you play competitively as a junior, college, playing high school,
1: or anything like that, or not really? So this is going to break my father's heart when he hears me retell the story. Right. So I was a baseball player growing up. He used to uh, he used to come home from work. I would make him sit across the street and catch my pitches, and I would throw horrible curveballs that would just bounce off the curb and hit him in the face. And then he would just work with me constantly, and then and then take me to batting practice post, you know, uh, like he, he just he was really, really good about investing in my baseball career because he was going to sit in the stands and he was going to eat hot dogs and he was going to watch me play baseball. Yeah. So I, I I was a decent little player. And the summer between my sophomore and junior year in high school, um, I had played on varsity, uh, the team for baseball my sophomore year. They put they, they said, we're not sure what's going to happen next year. We got a lot of good players coming in. you know, you're going to have to really pick it up to make varsity again, your junior year. And I was like, I was, honestly, I was burned out and I started playing golf and I came to my dad um, at the end of the summer, starting my junior year. Right. I, I was getting ready to play some ball and I said, dad, because baseball at that time, uh, baseball and golf were at the same time, you couldn't play both. I said, dad, I think I want to give up baseball to actually play on the golf team this year because I had gotten decent that summer you know I was not an AJGA player I wasn't you know super competitive but I fell in love with the game and I said dad I want to play competitively in high school and he went wow okay and now I look back and I'm like oh my gosh that was probably so hard for my dad he said it was he said it was very hard because he's got you know so much invested in all the gloves and uniforms and scars to prove it but he really let me Um, pursue that dream and then I played on my high school team and was was fortunate I was the number one player my junior and senior year golf just felt natural to me I mean call it you know baseball call it I went to a super small school so that I was able to be number one let's make no mistake so (laughs) <laughs> um but it was uh, it was great i look back at that like that was definitely one of those forks in the road in life like my dad could have said hey you know what it's just a passing whim focus on baseball this is what you've always wanted to do but he you know he knew his son and he said okay yeah. like if it's time it's time and i just Larry i fell in love with it and i just so i didn't compete really at the ajga level i mean there were guys charlie hoffman and there was right. a bunch of guys in the southern california section that yeah. were just you know, Tiger was a few hours north, you know, and he and I were, yeah. were close in age. And, but it was not, you know, I wasn't that good at a young age, but I had progressed so much my junior and senior year. I was like, oh man, I wish I would have started when I was like eight or nine. Right. And, but, you know, it's just, it was what it was. I mean, I had a great time. I had a chance when I graduated, I had a chance to play at a small school, Queen Macca College, College um, in San Diego. But, I honestly had bigger dreams. I wanted to try to walk on a D1 school. I was not recruited anywhere, by, and they were smart not to recruit me. But I, uh, you know, kind of had another chapter that we can talk about later. But as far as San Diego, that's my junior golf career was, you know, I got to our high school matches were at Torrey Pines. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, I it's just we played some amazing golf courses. Um, there were a lot of other juniors that were way better than I was, but I just, I was a, I was a baseball player that kind of turned into a golfer and fell in love with golf at uh, kind of a later age.
0: Cool. So, and so you touched on what I, where I was going to go next. So I know you end up going to Auburn. Uh, I'm so curious to hear about that. So <laughs> because you weren't recruited and no. you know, we have plenty, I mean, It's funny because I was, as you and I were talking about offline, I was just at the U.S. Women's Amateur and, you know, Anna Davis, who won the Augusta National Women's Amateur from Mm -hmm. California, signed a letter of intent to go to Auburn. So Auburn certainly recruits nationally, including in California. You weren't
1: recruited, but you ended up there. How did you end up going to Auburn? I I wish I had some amazing story, Larry. I really did. I wish it was that I was recruited from the West coast and they pulled me out and it was just, (laughs) it was the days before NIL and it was too good of an offer to pass up. No, I had, I had, I had no business going there. So, I mean, really the, well, the short but kind of long winded answer is I worked at a camp in uh, Northern California in in high school. It was like an outdoors camp and the owner of the camp was from Birmingham and he would recruit college kids to work at this summer camp for high school kids to be counselors and stuff like that. So after my sophomore year and after my junior year, um, I had met all these kids from the South that went to Vandy, Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, you know, all these Southern schools and Southern kids were cool. I mean, like, I mean, it's not like kids that I grew up with in Southern California and, you know, everybody had these cool accents, you know, and everybody was so nice. And (laughs) I remember, so this is how much, this is how little I knew about the South. Okay. Like, the, like in Southern football and the whole deal. I call my dad up and, um, my poor dad, I'm like, man, he, I just put him through the ringer. I call my dad up and I say it was, I had graduated and I was going to come back. Um, I graduated high school. I was going to come back and play at Guimaca, And I was going to, um, uh, you know, uh, just go to junior college for a couple of years, try to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and I call him and I say, Hey dad, I said, roll tide. And he said, what? He goes, how do you know Alabama? I was like, oh, that's Alabama. I thought that was Auburn. And he, he said, no. He goes, you got to get that straight, buddy. Because yeah. he went to Ohio State. and oh, he, knows he went to Ohio people. Okay, Yeah, he knows college football and stuff like yeah. that. I said, I said, oh, shoot, you're right. Because I had met a bunch of people from Auburn. And I, I could have ended up at anywhere in the southeast. I just happened to know a handful more people at Auburn. And they said, hey, you should come out here. And I remember – talking to my dad and my mom about it. And they said, look, he said, I mean, it's, it's classic Southern California parents with a Southern California kid. Hey, give it a shot. If you don't like it, come back, you'll figure it out. I mean, they were just so like, she'll like, Hey, if you don't like it, you'll just, you'll come home and you'll do something else. You'll go to school somewhere else. So very, very um, relaxed parents. who kind of let me do, you know, where whatever I thought was reasonable to do. So I packed up my Volkswagen GTI threw my golf clubs in the back and I started driving east, and I'm not gonna lie to you, I didn't know what state was after Texas. I, I really didn't. I mean, I was literally driving, going like, I am not sure where the ocean starts and where actually land ends. Like, how much further do I have? And this was the days before GPS or anything. Right, right. I mean, right. Your listeners might know the old AAA triptych that you yeah. have to like, Oh, old, I totally. Like, I love that. We got like,
0: those, we, we got those triple A triptychs every time we took a family trip. I remember oh,
1: they're, they're amazing, but you don't, you really don't know what's on page 17. Right. You're on page right. Three. You're you like, don't how have how the big busy? view. <laughs> you just oh, have oh, the next hundred miles man. and that's all, you know, and it's a great metaphor in life, right? Just focus on the next hundred miles. But I really didn't know what state was after Texas. And I'm like, Oh, look at this. This is amazing. Oh, look at this. So anyway, I, I get to Auburn and I just still I want to play golf. like I have this like fire that I've really only been playing competitively for two years. I honestly was so ignorant and yet maybe that was what just helped me. I was like, yeah, I want to walk on. I like I, I mean, I want to walk on an SEC school like what people don't do that. You know? <laughs> and there were like three guys that year that went on to play on the tour and you know whatever, but I just I had a I had a bug to play, and I remember telling people. Hey, I'm going to walk on They said, Oh, were you recruited? And I went, no, no, but I, I want to do this. And so, yeah, there's a whole nother story that comes into that walk. Well, trip, I, I, and right and,
0: and it is, a, I, I, but um, bottom line is I know you met your wife at Auburn. So everything worked out well, but on the golf side, um, I understand that when you, you're sort of got your 18 hole tryout and you're coming down the wire and you got a 7-iron in your hand. Oh, my gosh. You know to way too many
1: it. specifics. Like well, I'm I, I'm I, well, I'll let you take sweat. this. I'll, I know you have a 7-iron in your hand. I'll let you take it from there. Oh, so let me take you back three yeah. hours and 27 minutes. Before that happened, we were standing on the first tee. And Coach Griffin, at the time, he looked. There was like seven of us that were trying to walk on. And he we were on the first tee. And he just he looked at us and he said, boys, you're going to have to beat somebody that I'm paying to go to school here. Good luck. I'm not talking to you unless you're under par. And he walked off and I was like, was that a motivational speech? Was it like, I'm not sure what that was. Like, I don't know if I feel inspired. I don't know if I feel like I've just wasted this guy's time. Like, I don't know what that was, but it, so I was like, okay. And so we knew all of us knew we're like, okay, if we're not under par, like he's just not even going to, you know, sit down and have lunch with us. So fast forward, I was one over and I'm standing on the 13th hole and it's par five i hit a really good drive and i'm sitting there with like i think it was like 180 yards in and i'm sitting there with the seven iron in my hand i'm waiting right because i'm waiting for the green to come right. so i'm gonna, get, I'm gonna yeah. hit it too and larry i had mapped out my college career while i was waiting in the middle of that fairway i'm like all right worst case scenario is a birdie here maybe i make eagle um to get it to one under it's a short par four next there's an easy par three after that it's a short par four coming in on 18 maybe i pick up another birdie, you get to two under at a minimum i'm sitting at one under he's gonna have to talk to me right, right as i'm right. sitting there waiting right, right. so i, I kind right. of map it out. i'm like so you have to talk to me maybe he gives me another tryout. I and make the team it's gonna be a great story walk on kid from southern california like i've already planned it all out in my head <laughs> as i'm sitting there waiting so i get over the i get over the ball and um And to the left of this par five um, is a road. To the left of the road is an airport. And to the left of that, there's a nice little, you know, runway for these these small planes. So like you have to look really far left to see some of the stuff that I'm going to tell you about in a second. So I stand over the ball and I'm like, all right, I got this. And like I said, I had everything planned out. I hook my seven iron so bad. It goes over the road, over the fence and just creams down the airport runway. I mean, it was gosh. 60 yard hook and the guy I was playing with was like ah. so I went my bag full 10 cup moment before 10 cup yeah 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 yeah. I drop a ball put it in the airport again drop the third ball put it in the airport again I put three balls in the airport for my seven iron and I literally in like a matter of like six minutes like all of those plans that I You know, like I turn in a 78. I'm like, I'm not sure the coach is talking to me if I just, you know, if I'm carding a 78 here. So um, you know, I play my way in after hit my third ball in a row, OB. And, you know, golf just wasn't for the next three and a half years, golf was not a part of my world. I kind of I remember I came in and I called my dad. I'm like, dad didn't make it, you know, and he's like, Hey, you're gonna try again? I'm like, no, dad, like I like these guys are really good. Like I gave it a run, like I'm, you know, I'm done. And really kind of put the clubs on the shelf for about three years you know i played casually you know i mean robert trent jones the golf trail was built oh my gosh that's a whole other story about how i I spent so much money at rtj before i went to work there in college when i really didn't have the money to spend but that's another story for another time but um we uh i just i gave it up for a few years but that is my walk-on story to say hey i gave it a run i tried but yeah, that seven iron still haunts me. I mean, I don't know if you could tell that I actually, you know, can relive it moment by moment. But um, yeah, that's golf. Um, oh, no,
0: that, that's competitive golf. I hear that, you. That is that could, your now, world
1: can change very quickly.
0: Th- those scars are deep and they don't they don't mm-hmm. go away. So I get it. So, so the clubs are on the shelf. You, you know, graduate with your degree in communications and med at Auburn at Auburn. Uh meet your wife there, which is you know that the, that alone is a good reason to have gone to Auburn. Um <laughs> and um so tell me now you're thinking about what you're gonna do after college. Um uh having not played in college. Um what are you thinking then in terms of golf? I mean, you're thinking, gee, I still want golf to be part of my career. Do you you still think about making it as a player? Kind of where was your head at as you're graduating from auburn vis-a-vis
1: gall so great question and actually my 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 lovely wife um we actually weren't married yet we we met our my freshman year in college never dated until about two years after college so there's oh like- you
0: didn't date so till after college, after I didn't college. but it's
1: funny is we knew each other all through college we were friends you know the whole deal but yeah so we'll come back to that story here in a minute yeah. she played a key part in what i kind of the next chapter so um but we you know we didn't start dating till till mid or mid-20s but um, so anyway, so I, I, I graduate or I'm getting ready to graduate. And again, I call my dad, okay, my poor dad, as I'm telling this story, I'm like, man, what I put this man through. So I call him, he goes, Hey, he goes, you know, what are you doing? Cause my, my parents were awesome. They, they said to all of us kids, there's I have a brother and sisters, so all three of us, they said, look, we are going to cover you guys through your undergrad, anything you, anything beyond that, like that's on you, but you can count on us to handle everything for undergrad. So I mean, to be able to graduate with no debt, you know, things right. like that, like right. it's, it was a really cool gift that my parents gave me, yeah. and they gave all of us kids. And so he was like, "Hey, what are you going to do? You know, like, like it's, you know, I just got the biggest raise in my life. You're the youngest kid. You're done with school. All three of my kids are out of school. Like your mom and I are going to leave on a cruise for you know three years. <laughs> what are you going to do? And so I said this greatest slide. I said, "Dad, I just, I really don't think." Um, that uh, I, I'm kind of done with some of the things that I wanted to do when I was younger, and he's like, "Okay, where's this going?" And I said, "I said, I honestly think I want to turn pro." And he said, "In what?" <laughs> 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 and I said, "I said, Dad, I'm not ready to give up golf." And he went, "Oh my gosh, I'm so excited!" Because he didn't want me to give it up my freshman year. Like he was I- like, "Why did you not try out your software?" So he, like, he was so stunned that I was I wanted to pick it back up and actually try to compete. So he was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. But it was the greatest dance In what? In life? In, <laughs> you know, in in comedy? Like, what do you want to turn pro in? So I said, dad, here's my plan. I, obviously, I don't have any money. So I'm going to have to you know work. I'm going to have to wait tables at night or find some job I can work at night. And then I need access to a club where I'm going to have to practice and play, you know, and things like that. So he's like, I love it. He goes, I'm so glad you're going to give it another run. So that's when I went to work for, well, let me back up. Uh, I, I waited tables uh, outback steakhouse uh, in mm-hmm. Birmingham, Alabama. And I waited tables and I worked at, uh, the Robert Trent Jones golf Club. before I worked for the teaching Academy. I was, a, I worked in the cart barn on Saturdays. I would work in the cart barns so that I had full access to the, to the facilities. I waited tables at night and I just hit balls and play during the day. I would show up at 6. A.M., work on my game, short game, putt chip, hit balls, play till about three thirty. go wait tables, do it again the next day, do it again. And I mean, I remember this, I don't say this for any other reason, other than I needed the practice. I mean, I remember showing up and there's ice chips on the ball from the ball washer. Like it froze. It was 32. Wow. So yeah. like, the chips are sitting there on the ball. And I'm like, I, I don't have a choice. Like I, I, like I have to practice. I have to get my right. game in shape. And so I did that for a few months where I just played and practiced, played and practiced, played and practiced. Played and practiced. Um, and um, I- I'm getting some of the timeline here a little bit kind of overlaid, but I- my, I, met now my wife Carmen at uh, um, we kind of remet when I was trying to practice and play I'd hurt my back she worked at UAB she worked on the athletes I had a friend who said oh I know somebody who can help you with some stretch to help you train the golfers and and stuff like that so this is a funny story about about golfers at UAB Graham McDowell I think was there at the time or oh, okay, okay. and so she was in charge of uh, training the different teams. Like there was a whole big board, like, Hey, football's coming in from this time to this time. And you have to work them through that. And the soccer team's coming in at this time, this time. And then the golf team was always supposed to come in at a certain time. And she would joke going, everybody knew that you had two hours off because none of the golfers would ever show up for the gym time. Like none of them. So (laughs) she, when I came to her and said, Hey, uh, you've been recommended. She's like, look, I have all the material in books, but like the golfers never show up for workouts. So I'm happy to run you through what we would have run them through had they actually showed up. That's so funny. that's a whole nother story. But so she worked with me, you know, to get stronger core balance, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. And then I raised a little bit of money Um, and then went to Florida and tried to play. And I played so like on,
0: playing the mini tours down there, on the mini
1: tours, it, you know, the barbecue circuit. I mean, I played on the 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 teardrop tour, the moonlight tour, the golden bear tour, Hooters events. I mean, like I played in anything that I could afford. And, um, Carmen, my wife was back in Birmingham and she was working and she was sending me money. Hey, here's entry fees, you know, here you go, here you go. And she'd fly down every couple of weeks to see me. And I was trying to play at a Honda Accord and I just drove the crap out of it all through central and Northern Florida and, um, just tried to play. And then, I mean, honestly, the guys that I was playing against boo weekly, Bubba Watson. I mean, Ian Steele played on tour for a little while wow, I mean all these wow. guys that were just so good. Yeah. And I remember going, okay, I'm practicing, I'm practicing, I'm practicing. I'm working on it. I remember the day that like, it just, everything became crystal clear to me. It was uh, a terrible weather at this, uh, this 18 hole event. I had finished like second and third in a couple of these one day events. So I kind of had like this, this like glimmer of like, okay, let's put that together for four days and let's go a lot deeper. And let's, you know, so like but I remember I played one of the best rounds of golf in my life in this weather. That was just horrendous. I mean, when it was raining, wind was blowing sideways, everybody's wearing gloves. I mean, you're having to shape everything, right? Like the wind's blowing this way. You get to hit a high draw. This is going here. You got to hit a low cut. This is coming. Like I, it was one of the best rounds of golf I've ever played in my life. I was a couple under um, and I walk into the clubhouse and I fully expect to be leading by five. All right. Like at least, and I walk up to the board and I, and, I, and I look down the list and I'm sorry, I'm doing this visually. And then I flipped the paper because it was paper. Then it was not digital. Right, right. And I look down the list again and I flip the page again. And I, my name is on the third page and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Wow. Like, okay. Wow. When you're best, Is page three, (laughs) and it is just in general in life when you have given your best and you know you have given your best and you're on page three, you might want to look at a different career. So, (laughs) I, I I was standing in that clubhouse and I remember it hit me so clearly, but it was this weird sense of like peaceful Zen that kind of fell over me. I was like, you know what? I gave it everything I had, and it wasn't good enough, and it was okay. Like it, like, it wasn't like this thing that was haunting me. Like, Oh, I could have done it. Or I could have done that. You gave it your shot. Yeah. I gave it my shot. And I tell people like kind of what i pulled away from that. And I had somebody tell me this. I'm like, Oh my God, that's what it is. It's like, there's two really bad pains that you can experience in life. Right. You can experience the pain of regret and the pain of failure. Okay. Like you, like they both hurt, but one hurts more than the other. And I, I had the pain of failure and it was way better than the pain of regret because yeah, I met right. so many people years later that said to me, oh my gosh, I wish I would have tried. I wish I would have given it a run. I wish I would have done this. And I'm like, yeah, I don't wish that. Like right, I you tried did, it like, you tried. I'm okay. Yeah, like I addressed the dream, I put it on the shelf. It wasn't for me. Like it doesn't haunt me. It doesn't wake me up at night. I don't like have cold sweats of what I could have been. Like I know exactly what I could have been. I could have been page three, and that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I I like there was this. It was just this calm sense of like, okay. And I remember calling my wife and I said, hey babe. I said I'm 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 done. And she goes, no no no, stay down there, stay with it. And I went, no no no, this isn't me being discouraged. This isn't me being like, you know, oh I'm just so beat down after like this is me going okay. Like, I think like, I'm just like, I gave it a shot and I'm done. And she tried to talk me and She's like, no, I think you need to stay blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, like, I'm seriously like, I want to, I want to come home. And she's like, all right. And so then I like, I was, I was kind of done. i like, that was that chapter. I, I won't jump into the next chapter, but like, that was a very peaceful end to a, you know what? Some people be like, oh, that was an epic failure. I'm like, no, I had an absolute blast. Yeah. I put everything I had after it I tried to walk on. I tried to play professionally. Didn't happen. But you know what? Nothing haunts me. Like, right. or, I don't wonder or whatever. So I, I have such fond memories of that point in my life. And, um, you know, I tell people like it sounds so cliche, but like, don't be afraid to fail. Like you can learn so no, much. You got to give it a shot. Absolutely. From, from giving something a shot. And then because, you know, then it goes into the next chapter. But when this chapter closed, it was like, OK, what am I doing next? But it was a very peaceful um, and to trying to compete and thinking I had game and, you know, thinking that a strong grip like Asian or actually with a club face that shut could actually play golf, you know, <laughs> competitively. but there's only a few people I think that have ever done that. But, um, It was uh, it was a great time. But I remember calling her and she's like, are you upset? I'm like, no, I'm actually okay. Like I it's it's time. So anyway, that was uh, I could tell you random competitive stories. But that was uh, that was my run at competitive golf.
0: Well, no, that's great. I love it. And so from there, is this now when you become an instructor for Robert Trenchard, you decide, okay, I'm not going to make it as a player. Mm -hmm. I I love the way that was just a wonderful description. I mean, you gave it your shot. Mm -hmm. You're at peace with that decision. you know, You gave it your best. But now you sort of pivot and yeah. you're going to, what made
1: you say, Hey, I want to try the teaching aspect of this. So you kind of have those moments in your life, right? You come back and you're like, all right, I tried to do this. It didn't work out. What do I want to do? And I just kind of, I said, I asked myself this question actually a few years later, but this was the question I, asked, I said, What do I love to do? And, and I, I just kept coming back to golf. I'm like, I love the game of golf. I, I tried to play that didn't work out, but I still had this desire to be around it. And that kind of pulled, I'm like, what else is there to do in the game itself? And I, I I enjoyed working with people. I enjoyed, you know, like I enjoyed the instructors that helped me. And so I want to do it. So I went back to school uh, with the PGA of America at the time. It was, I think, what was it called at the time? The GPTP program where you, you know, go for like a, you know, a two-year program where you become a class A PGA professional, you learn the business, you learn the industry. You know, and you kind of can, you know, go on the route to be a GM of a club or a teaching professional or something like that. And that's when I um, wanted to get serious about teaching. And I know, you know, Eric Eshelman with the P.J. And Eric is one of my dear friends. I absolutely love that. He's man. a great guy. Yeah, uh, he he really is. I mean, I would never say this to his face how great he is, but I would say to you <laughs> how great he is. Uh, but no, true mentor of mine. Um, and I went to work for him um, at the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail Academy of Golf to learn the game from an instructional standpoint. Right, he was such a good teacher. Um, And learning the game, we taught tons of junior clinics and individual lessons and group lessons and golf schools. And we traveled all over the state of Alabama at the Robert Trent Jones Academy of Golf at the time. It had just opened up and Eric was charged with starting it. And we went to all the different trail sites and, you know, hosted these schools. And it was great. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. I did that for, oh gosh, roughly four years, maybe right around four years, three, four years, and had an incredible time, but got to a point where I realized instruction is not something I could see myself doing 20 years from now. Like I, I enjoy it right now, but there, I mean, there were instructors that were just like, you could tell this is what they were carved out to do. And I met right. a few of them and I'm like, Oh, okay. Like I see what 20 years from now could look like for me. And like, and I just don't know that I'm wired that way. And I remember having that kind of that same question that same moment again, Going, man, I love golf. I love this time in my life that I've had being around as an instructor, but like, I don't want to be an instructor. And we had, we were in Mobile, Alabama and we were doing a golf school and the LPGA tournament of champions was coming to that golf course, uh, Magn- Magnolia, Magnolia Grove. I think that's what it was called. Dynamobile, and an LPGA tour event was coming there and, our golf school just happened to be setting up like the week before it. And I was so fascinated by what was happening to the golf course. All these rigs were coming in the television, it right. w- right. was coming in the tents were being set up. The, uh, the course was being roped off and sprayed differently. You had pros over here practicing. You heard advertising on the radio. You saw the billboards, like just the event side of it. Like, it was like, I was a kid in a candy store. I'm like, what's that? What's that? How does that work? Like it was so, it just like, it pulled me in like the event industry pulled me in. I was just, I was so mesmerized by what was happening to actually pull this thing off. And so I I'm leaving out some details, but I applied for a job with the management company that was running that tournament Okay. And I, I, I said, like, I would love to go the Bruno event team, you know, at the time. But there's actually kind of a funny story in between there, actually, to be perfectly honest, Yeah, because I was leaving the golf industry trying to get into the event industry. But you I mean, you need to know people like to to get in, like, just right. to give you a foot in the door or whatever. And I was actually People say to me, oh, you were waiting tables. No, 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 I was busing tables at this time, right? So I was in between jobs. I obviously I'm trying to pay rent. And, you know, my wife is like, so what are you doing now? You're going to bus tables. Like, that's awesome. Like, where are we going in this thing? <laughs> but it was in between. I had my class APGA. I wasn't going to teach anymore. I was trying to figure out how to get in with certain, you know, like the event management. And I was busing tables. And the president of Bruno Event Team at the time, Gene Hallman, um, was in Ruth's Chris with his wife and I was busting tables and he had known me from the trail and you know Birmingham's not a huge town he had known me and he looked over and he goes Nathan he goes what are you doing I said well I'm trying to clean up table 14 so these people can sit down Gene and he goes no no no." like what are you doing I'm like well I'm in the middle of leaving this and I'm trying to get in the event industry blah 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 and he goes Nathan, you know, I run Bruno event team, right? And I'm like, ah, uh, I mean, I think I heard that gene, but like, I mean, I'm mid twenties, I don't know what's going on. And he said, literally, he said, polish up your resume. I want to see you next week. I have something I want to talk to you about. Wow. And I was like, okay. And so, they needed somebody to run the first tee of Birmingham at the time they had just pulled in the first tee under Bruno event team. He knew I'd been an instructor. He knew that I'd been in the golf industry. Like I, like I said, I mean, I kind of had known him, but I was bussing tables and he said, Hey, I want to huh. talk to you about this. I went in, I interviewed and then fast forward, ended up being able to help start the first tee of Birmingham, which was an absolute blast starting it there. And um, you know, had some great stories, some, a lot of fun there, but then they needed somebody to run the Southern Farm Bureau classic in Jackson. They picked up the contract to run that, the, the tour event in Mississippi. And I remember asking, I said, Hey, what would it take to um, to take a look at that job? He goes, are you interested in it? I went, yeah, I had no idea. what. Like, I mean, like a tournament director. I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, and he goes, here's the deal. He goes, we're going to put you in a position there and I'll be there to oversee you. We'll have a couple people there to help you out. But he goes, I think you could be really good at it. I'm like, great. Really good at what? Like, how does this work? You know? So they, that was kind of my first start in that industry. And then I'm going to fast forward like 25 years. Like I don't know what else I would do besides being a tournament director for a tour event. Like when I, I look, when I look out 20 years now, I'm like, Oh, I hope I'm still doing this, you know, but <laughs> like at the time, like it just, it, they they gave me that chance and i just i fell in love with the event industry i fell in love with golf like i loved golf but then here was golf at a totally different level and application right it wasn't right. somebody playing it wasn't somebody teaching it was taking this platform of golf and then the charitable aspect of it oh right. my gosh i was i was all in on that the fact of like the better we did our job the more money we were going to raise for these charities. And then you get to meet the charities and you go tour the hospitals and you meet the kids and you meet the families. And like, like Larry, all of it, I was all in. I'm like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And then here I am, you know, coming up on 20 years being up here that I just, I am all in on what these events mean to their communities and what they do and the impact that they provide and all that type of stuff. I feel like I'd be a commercial for the tour right now, but yeah, no. That there was. I was bussing tables. Went to work for them, and then they literally. I just think needed somebody to move to Jackson to to work on this event. I was like, Yeah, sure, I'll go. And um, and the rest is history because I have not changed since then. I mean, so you're not-
0: doing that. So that let's just time wise, this is what around yeah. two thousand one or two or something. Yeah, yeah. You're doing that. So you're in your twenties, as you say. Um, doing uh, that tournament in Mississippi, Mm -hmm. um, which is a tour event. Usually I think it's off when there's another limited field tour event. I mean, it's usually it's bounce around. Yeah. Yeah. Bounces around a little bit. So, but still it's a tour event. Um, You're doing that. Sounds like you found your true love. You're enjoying it. How does the travelers championship tournament director position come to you?
1: So at the time it was the Buick Championship, right? So it was 2005, right? Right. And right. Um, that's true. It, it pops up. It pops up on my, you know, PGA of America feed. Like, hey, looking for a tournament director. I had no idea what had happened. I had no idea anything. But they said, hey, the Buick Championship is looking for a tournament director. And um, one of the things about working for the event team was sometimes we got pulled to do other things. Like, right, you were focused on your event but then they had tons of events, right? They had a motorcycle park. They had, um, they ran the marathon qualifying. Like they were an event company, right? Right, right. I loved golf. And so when I saw an opportunity to actually focus on just one event year round and not, you know, be, you know, potentially pulled, I was like, Oh, that's interesting. And I remember I applied, I mean, I was 20, Nine. I had no business breaking out from a management company, kind of on my own. Whatever I applied, I was just you know curious, and and I you know never been to Connecticut. I maybe DC is the furthest kind of northeast. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's
0: what it sounded like. That DC was the, your farthest northern excursion oh. prior to that.
1: Oh, please reference my earlier conversation. I didn't know what state was after Texas. I didn't know what. <laughs> country was after dc i didn't know where canada began i knew like i like i mean it was like there's an ocean somewhere up there but like geography was not my um let's say strongest class uh, and um so yeah so I, i i threw in an application just honestly i asked my wife i said hey what do you think she goes i don't know i mean our son was two months old at the time and she's like i mean hey if we're gonna bounce around and see another part of the country now's the time to do it you know i mean like we have no real you know, ties, like, you know, we can we, he can go anywhere. And so they took it and they called me and they said, Hey, we'd like to fly you up for an interview. And I was like, Oh, cool. Like I still seriously, I'm like, Oh, all right, great. You know, this would be a good experience, you know, like whatever. So I fly out there. I, I think another piece of advice I could give to people is interview as if you have no chance to get the job because you just really, you're not, first. you know, you're not, So I I thought, you know, I had a great conversation with a bunch of people. There's 25 people in the room. You know, what's your vision for this? What's your vision for this? I I don't remember remember what I said. Um, But it was, uh, I mean, the the tournament had a history. You know, I mean, it started in 1952. There was, you know, the JCs were a community organization that ran it it was a big group. And I remember I called my wife after the interview, she said, how'd it go? And I went, I mean, I think it went great, but there's no way they're gonna offer me the job. Like I'm way too young. Like I don't have enough experience. Like I got no chance, but it was a really good you know, interview experience, blah, blah, blah. Sure as heck, two, two days later, I get this call going, we'd like to offer you the job. And I was walking with my wife at the Bruno's Memorial Classic. Cause that was one of the events that we ran in Birmingham, right. a great Golf and right. country club. And I got the phone and I, called, and I looked at her and I went, oh, my gosh, they just offered us the job. And she went, oh, my gosh. And she went down and she, she grabbed her knees and she was like, oh, she took a deep breath and she stood up and she goes, we're going to move to Connecticut. And I'm like, I guess so. I mean, let, let, I mean, literally, <laughs> like when we were kids, you know, we we're like, I don't know, I guess so. So literally, I flew up here in March of 2005. The event was in August. And I had no idea what i was doing i mean i had an idea but i didn't really have an idea you know and 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 buick 2005 in the fall of 2005 buick announces that they are not renewing after 2006 so i had been there 5 months moved my wife and two month old son to connecticut and within 5 months i'm not sure what i my job is going to be because they literally say Nope. Sorry. We're done after 2006. Good luck trying to find a title sponsor. The PGA tour says, well, if you don't have a title, we're going to take your date and then apply it to another tournament. And you guys, why don't you guys try to be a fall event or why don't you try to be a champions tour event or why don't you yeah. try to be an LPGA tour event? You don't no longer have a date with us anymore on wow. the tour schedule. So And I, again, I felt like I was just back in the mini tour days where my wife just kept sending me checks. I'm like, Hey, sorry. She's like, look, it'll be fine. Like something like, we'll be okay. Right. You know, something will happen here. Like she was just so supportive. So we had about six months there where we had no title and no date, but we still had to run the 2006 Buick championship. Yeah. They have to tell you a year before. Right. So fast forward to April of 2006 master's weekend we're getting ready for the 2006 buick championship um master's weekend 84 lumber had hosted a tour event in pennsylvania um they pulled out of their contract and said we're done we're pulling out early it's not good for the business anymore and there was this june date that all of a sudden came open on the calendar travelers headquartered you know uh, well they're not headquartered but they have a huge presence in connecticut was interested in a tour event. They were looking at Tampa. They were looking at a few other places, you know, what makes sense. And they said, oh, Connecticut, third week of June, that might be nice. Over a 48-hour period, we negotiated a contract with the PGA tour they were sending us stuff and it still had 84 lumber in the contract like it, it was like it wasn't even like the ink hadn't even dried and like oh scratch that out no it's travelers wow. Championship. wow stuff like that and we actually and it the, again we could spend an hour talking about this deal but to put that together with the tour um with travelers and over a weekend and then we announced it that next week that hey in 2007 we're going to be the travelers championship and, uh, you know, travelers looked at everything in 2006, the last year, of the Buick championship. And I got to know Andy Bissett, um, with travelers at the time, like he and I have worked together now for 18 years on the event. He's the executive that was assigned the event from the traveler side. And it has been this, one of the greatest roller coaster rides I've ever been on. I mean, we have had so much, there has been fun. There has been tears. There has been pain, like, but it has been the most amazing ride to be on with travelers because they keep every year they leaned in further and every year they just, they wanted to do more. And it, it just led to this, the community bought in and the players bought in and the golf course bought in. We built a new practice facility. We built a new clubhouse. We, I mean, just, the the momentum that just took off and then fast forward to, you know, so many good things have happened over the last 17, 18 years. It's just been an unbelievable ride. I mean, people have said, Oh, you know, how much longer are you going to stay there? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look in this industry, it is so hard to get a title sponsor, a golf course, a host organization, which I work for that actually runs it and the PGA tour all going in the same direction. Right, absolutely. Like sometimes you might get a title and a course, but you don't have the host in the club. Right. And then sometimes right. you get the club, but you like to have all of those going in the same direction and everybody saying, this is what we want to do. Let's all do this together. Like that is why it's happened up here. And that is why, you know, we're very fortunate. We were just named name yesterday. We were just named, you know, one of the tour signature events moving right. forward. Right. And that's going to be through 2030 with travelers title sponsor agreement. So I mean, it is such a, a, a I would say a perfect storm up here with how many different pieces it takes to to pull off a tour event. And everybody's going in the same direction with this event up here. So yeah, I just so, went over like two decades, but
0: yeah, yeah. No, that that is so just to fill in a little bit from my perspective, and you and I chat a little bit about this offline. So and you touched on it earlier. I mean, the the tournament, which once upon a time was the Greater Hartford Open. Once upon yeah. a time was the Sammy Davis Jr. Greater yes. Open yeah. when I was growing up. But I mean it dates to the 50s. Mm-hmm. I mean I was, you know, in 1979 years old, I remember going to it at Old Weathersfield Country mm-hmm. Club. It was the Hartford JC's. I mean the tour yeah. was much, you know, this is pre Dean Beeman, pre Tiger Woods. It was a much not nearly the enterprise that it's become. Um, and, you know, it was a very nice, successful tournament at its scale. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, but this is fascinating to me because I never realized, um, that there was this period where it was at risk. Um, and Mm -hmm. of course, you know, again, for people, I grew up in West Hartford, Connecticut, so I know the area uh, Mm of listeners, I mean, Hartford, the insurance capital of the world, I mean, a lot of these companies have merged and are not necessarily headquartered there, but Travelers, yeah. the Travelers Tower has been, you know, a major part of the Hartford skyline yeah. forever. Um, yeah. Travelers has been a major core, even wherever the headquarters are, Travelers has been a major corporate yes. presence in Hartford. So I always thought it was perfect that they became yeah. the title sponsor, but I never realized that there was this kind of period where it was touch and go and boy how great that they stepped in um, Uh and the date opened up that's amazing
1: yeah no like i said we could spend an hour talking about that it wasn't even honestly there it wasn't even touch and go. it was go because (laughs) there was no date and there was no title so it wasn't like hey i hope like it was like we i remember i mean we were pitching companies to be the champions tour title sponsor and we were like we don't have a date on the on the regular tour schedule so yeah no that that's a whole story in and of itself how they stepped up and said you know, for those of you who know New England, you know, this will not be a whaler situation. We are keeping right, this. Right. This, this and be, right. again,
0: for, you know, again, growing up there and Nathan, and I talked a little bit about this offline. I mean, you know, we don't have any major league teams, the whalers, you know, the good old Harford whalers became the mm-hmm. New England whalers still, I think the greatest emblem in sports, if anyone's down with the, no eight, question. with the tail of the whale and the W it's beautiful. <laughs> Even Bill Simmons, who you know, uh, you know, who's who's a pretty uh, uh, big profile in the sports world, who grew up in New England, talks about as the greatest, you know, emblem in sports. But the Whalers left us, and we were left without any pro terms. So you're absolutely right. This is the pro event, um, and New England always supported it greatly. The Mm -hmm. Connecticut fans, but it's a huge thing. So let's talk a little bit. I mean, you you know you obviously had a tremendously successful run, you know, lots of awards, you know, players choice in 2017, 2018, tournament of the year in 2017, tremendous fields, you know, even as you and I talked a little bit offline, even, even, even being next to the U.S. Open, Mm -hmm. you know, it's worked out, people, you know, come to it. Um, Let's talk about kind of, what goes into planning and executing the tournament? Because you know, for people who are listening to this, um, it's really a full year job, right? I mean, obviously, it accelerates, I'm sure, in terms of as you get close to the date, mm-hmm. but
1: it's 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 a huge endeavor, right? So it, it is, and it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to to convince people of that. I remember my grandfather said, "He goes, what do you do the rest of the year?" And I said, well, <laughs> actually, I work on this, Grandpa. Um, it was great. He goes, "Well, you seem happy. That's fine." Um, so there's, uh, there's 13 of us that, um, that work year round on this and it is our full-time job. Like it is, we, we work on every aspect of our daily job culminates in this one week. And so there, there's 13 of us that work on it full-time. We, we bring in probably five or six interns from January to July. So there'll be another, you know, close to 20 of us for six months. And then we have about 38 committees with close to 2000 volunteers wow. that, um, that work on various things from distribution to, uh, oh my gosh, I mean, shipping and receiving to crowds. Control. I mean, like there's so many different logistics of, you know, a couple hundred thousand people showing up for a week. Like you have to feed them, you have to restrooms and, you know, the clientele, you have high end clientele, you have general admission ticket buyers. So, like there's all these committees that cater to the different, different groups, but I would say a year is, is not enough because typically what we do is it's about a 15 month cycle, like about three months before about three months before the tournament. There's just, there's no more you can do for that year's tournament. You're in execution mode. So you start working on the next year's event. Like there's just this, this window and like the U S open you, I know you and I were talking about this earlier, like LA, they had, they had a group there for probably two and a half years Yeah on the, you know, the, the U S open, any of the majors have two to three years, they'll send teams in Ryder cups, you know, they'll, they'll move in, they'll live there. Yeah. I, I just,
0: just want to interject and echo that because I, you and I hadn't talked about this. So I'm, I'm on the board of the Southern California golf association. Okay. We're the allied golf association out here. We work mm-hmm. pretty closely with the USGA when they have an event here. Um, And the, the those guys came to our board meetings and, just to echo your point i was blown away by how that advanced team literally spent 2 plus years living out here yeah. yeah i mean it it is
1: amazing you're so you're you're spot on with that so it's it's just the nature of the beast i mean you you have huge fortune 100 companies investing millions of dollars and they have all of their clients coming you have just the logistics working with towns and communities and cities and police and fire and medical and like you just can't like a year is actually a really, really short time to actually pull an event like this off. So, I mean, we have a very condensed timeline, but we're also very lucky. We're at the same golf course. You know, there's a lot of things that actually we don't have to do. I mean, I, I, I feel for the events like the Western golf association, the BMW championship, they bounce yeah, every they year move around. Right. And Oh my gosh, that team, the different municipalities, they have to deal with the different yes. volunteer groups, the different, yes. I mean, they, they just, they have so much they have to do in every new market Um, but also don't, you know, feel too bad for them. They get to sell in new markets every year. So they're like the golden child coming into new markets. Don't feel too bad for them, you know, (laughs) but, um, but no, it's just, you know, a year we do, we work completely year round on it and, um, you know, thousands of people. And it's, I mean, it worth 313 days as of you and I talking right now from next year's tournament. And I'm like, man, that's just, it's not enough time. It is not enough time. So um, but yeah, from marketing to sales, to volunteer work, to the operations component, you know, the element that it takes, you know, three, four months to build the project out. Um, so we have a whole ops team that works on that. Um, it's uh, it's it's a year round job that to, to my grandfather's um, confusion. He's like, I just don't forget what you do the rest of the year. And then finally I had to say, grandpa, I have the best job in America. I get 51 weeks off. I work one week. And, you know, again, he's like, oh. <laughs> he goes, you're not asking your dad for money. So that, that's, so that's okay. So
0: that's right. So, so let me ask you this. So before we'll get into the, what was designated event now, a signature event, we'll use the mm-hmm. right nomenclature, but before we get into that, which is a pretty recent phenomenon, um, before, even before that, which obviously you know helps you have such a superb field, you've done a great job getting a really strong field all these years. Um, you know, Jordan's played there, of course. Talk about signature events. I mean, the signature oh, shot and the bunker shot that. I can't watch that enough, you know, with I him and we're celebrating, uh, you know, yeah. against Berger in the playoff. But, you know, you've had this, you know, um, you didn't think you could top Furex 58 and there you go. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, um, you know, you've had these, you know, Rory's been there a lot. I mean, you've had through the years, just great fields. And from the outside looking in, you would think, gee, you know, that's not a great time slot. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like, You know, the Memorial, which is usually a couple of weeks before, Mm -hmm. you know, know, obviously you have or Riviera out here with Tiger. You know, you're sitting there, you know, in central Connecticut, usually right after a major or sometimes up against the British Open, what have you. I mean, how, how have you been able to have the success that you obviously have had? What's the keys to it?
1: Oh, relationships. Like that's the first place I'm going to start and a commitment from your title sponsor. So we, uh, Andy Bissett, I mentioned that name before. He's the EVP at Travelers and he he oversees it from the title side. And I work hand in hand with him. I, I talk to him probably four times a day as my title sponsor. And so I'm really, really lucky to be, to have that close of relationship. So I have to lay that as the groundwork. So when we took, a, when, when we started this, even before people said, oh my God, the date is just terrible. You're never going to get a field. Good luck, blah, blah, blah. And we kept hearing that. And we kept hearing that. And we were like, And I remember a reporter actually stuck a microphone in my face, saying, "What did you do to the PGA Tour to piss them off to get the week after the U.S. Open? You guys, (laughs) you guys are never going to get a field." And I was like, "Oh my god, I don't know. I don't know what I did to the tour." But I remember Andy and I we talked about, like, "Okay, we need to unpack this, right? Like, like what is the reason guys won't play?" So we just started this campaign. We started going to events and saying, "Hey, why is the week after the U.S. Open bad?" And every reason that we got was not something that we couldn't solve. They're like, "Man, it's hard to travel right. from wherever the US Open is, you know, we're tired. The US Open's a hard grind and right. you know we're we're exhausted. It's just hard to get there." We we're like, "Okay, so we charter a plane and it's free to the players, their families, their caddies. We worked with the USGA And we uh, park the plane at a private FBO. We work with the USGA to get them to be able to drop all of their cars right there at the FBO. They unload. We have a team there that pulls out all their bags, gets them on their private flight, 150 of them, and flies them here. We're like, okay, transportation is taken care of. What's the next problem? Like, well, it's, um, you know, like it's uh, summer is our families and we like to bring our families and stuff like that. We're like, great. Let's revamp daycare. We, we actually joke that we call it Camp Travelers because <laughs> the kids love coming here. We do hikes. We do face painting. We do wiffle ball games. We do all this stuff where the kids are like, mommy, daddy, you're going to Travelers this year, right? Like, oh, we go straight <laughs> after the kids. And so, I mean, but it literally, Wait. like, they joke. They say it's Camp Travelers because we do stuff for the kids every single day. At the daycare program, at the golf course, we have gift bags waiting for them. We have, uh, I mean, like it's insane what we do with Like I want to be a kid and come to our event. Um, And then we do stuff for the caddies. Like we have caddy appreciation week and we do gifts and we do all kinds of things. We take care of the trainers. We ask the wives, like, what, what do you like? And they're like, we just like to be able to take a deep breath and relax. And we're like, okay, what does that mean? We're like, okay, we're going to serve dinner in the clubhouse and offer babysitting so that like husbands and wives can actually have a dinner out and not. Yeah. Like, little things and that we do laundry for the caddies and i swear to you we get six months of laundry that shows up at our (laughs) event i'm like guys do you have no place else you can do laundry um i mean we when the charter lands from the u.s open we have all of their cars staged out so they literally get off the charter jump in their cars and go we just literally try to make it as easy as possible on the players and and fast forward i i have to i have to tell you this real quick yeah 10 years after we started this, you know, we were getting four out of the top 10 in the world, five out of the top 10 in the world, six, you know, it just kind of continues to build. Right. And I had a reporter, I wish it was the same reporter, but it wasn't. Um, a reporter stick a microphone in my face and they said, What did you do to get so lucky to have the week after the US Open to get the, to get the fields, to get the fields that you have? And I just, I paused and I'm like, did anybody hear that? Did like what I, I'm sorry, I mean, really, like, that is, And so like, but I just had that moment where I remember that reporter sticking the microphone on my face going, what did you do to piss off the tour? And then the same thing going, what did you do to be so lucky to get this week? But it was, it was a hundred little things, Larry, to be honest. I mean, it was, there was not one big thing. It was, I I think the biggest compliment I ever received was, uh, I think in 17, we won that award when the players, um, when the players voted us as their favorite event. I remember a guy said, I don't know how you do it, but you make it feel like a home game for all of us.
0: Wow. What a wonderful and, compliment. Like
1: that was, I was like, that's all I wanted. Like that is literally like all I wanted. I wanted it for every player and family to feel like, man, it is so good to play. And then the crowds are so good. You mentioned that the yeah. crowds in central Connecticut are amazing. That shot that Jordan hit yeah. in 17 and the, the, the roar, right. Yeah. It was off. Like he could have hit that shot at another tournament and it would have been like, yay, Jordan, you know, like it wouldn't have been to what he said is one of the most memorable shots he's ever hit in his career. Right. Right, Like the crowds made that. I didn't make that, you know, Jordan hit a shot out of a bunker, but it was in a theater that just erupted. And so the crowds are good. And I mean, they just, it is built on, but I mean, the the short answer is we we try to do a hundred little things that make it feel like a home game for all the guys. That's a
0: great, yeah, that's a great way to, to say it, um, so I, I was chuckling as I was getting ready to chat with you for this podcast because I I went back and this is pre the whole live designated yep. event stuff and and it said you know somebody had asked you um, if you could change one thing oh. what would it be and you said oh it'd be a more structured schedule for the players regarding where they play. And I'm thinking, wow, this guy has premonitions. I mean, because that was way before Liv, you said that. But in fact, you know, as the response to the tour has done, your dream has come true. Um, And not just that that is in part of the tour structure, but you guys have gotten the designated event status for this year. Um, And Mm -hmm. now schedule as we're taping this just came out. And I think the terminology is now signature event, but uh, the same concept that you got it for next year. I mean, how cool is that? And that's got to be just an awesome thing
1: to have, right? Well, it's great. And first of all, I appreciate you picking the one quote that I got right and <laughs> skipping, skipping the 48 other quotes that you could have said and how stupid I sounded. So first of all, kudos to picking the one quote so people think, oh, he, he sounds like a fairly smart individual. But you left out a lot of other amazing quotes that I've said over the years. Um, but, yeah, I, it was one of those things where it's like you don't – in golf, you never – you know, like you every once in a while, the best players would get together, right? You had it for majors, but then you for get – like, yeah. One guy there, so that was always one of those things. Like, wouldn't it be great whether you did like a champions tour model where you took a week off, you know, every three weeks or something to where it kind of consolidated the guys? So, um, yeah, I mean, to, to you know, fast forward obviously to everything that's happened and you know, the networks and the audiences and the tour players saying what they're saying about us getting together, you know, more often. I mean, at the end of the day, through all of the noise the last couple of years, like the fans win, like the, the viewers get to see more times where they know the top guys are going to be together, regardless if it's us or if it's another event or whatever, the viewers get to see it. The fans get to see it. They know, Hey, I'm going to go see the, the Yankees and the Red Sox play. And it's going to be this, you know, like fans know, Hey, I'm going to go to these events and see all the top guys there. Not that the other events aren't going to have incredible drama and, and great fields and stuff like that. It's just getting, you know, the top guys together is something that I think is going to go over really well. I mean, last year, my goodness. I mean, the, the designated events, I think are elevated, whatever they they landed on to call us. I mean, it provided some incredible drama. It was, it was amazing. It was phenomenal. And then this year I'm looking forward to it. So, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be tweaks over the years is like at this schedule, like, okay, we did this now, you know, the tour wants to change it. But at the end of the day, I think the sports fans golf fans win that they get to see the top guys competing against each other. The top guys actually get to compete against each other. And when they win these events, they're like, hey, I beat all of my peers that were the top guys in the game. So I think it's going to be pretty cool for the sport for fans to see that.
0: So how is this going? I mean, and the answer may be you don't know, because I know this is all a work in progress. But how is this working going forward? I mean, you got it. For 2023. Mm-hmm. Now you have it for 2024. Um, is this gonna be something that rotates? Do you have it for a period of time, this status, or how is that all working? Because I'm not sure I'm aware of how that's gonna
1: work. So I the the tour was pretty clear for 23 that they were just doing it for one year, right? right they were right. doing it for these events, like, hey, we're gonna take a look. Um, for 24 and beyond, I can't speak for everyone. Um, like all the events but i can say that uh, travelers we have a a, an agreement with them through 2030 and this status is laid on top of that agreement so now i don't know what's going to happen for all the other events but it is not the same situation that it was last year where they just said hey we're going to designate these four we're going to think about rotating them and stuff like that and we a lot of the events talked about that like hey what would it mean to rotate and how would that work? And is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? And I would say there was, there was positive and negative from that. Like, I mean, one of them was like, Hey, this would be pretty cool to rotate rotate this to different markets. But then the other was, okay, how do you sell a multi-year deal to sponsor a, if you're going to have this type of event in 23 and yet this type of event in 24, are you going to charge different prices for different field strength? You know, your purse is 20 million one year and it's right. five million in the next year. Like, right. like look good on paper to start to rotate these events. And then it was like, wait a minute, like how is this all going to work? So I think the tour landed more in a, Hey, if there's a title that's willing to commit a golf course, that the players like an event that they like, like we're looking for more of a long-term type play here. But again, I don't want to put words in the tour's mouth. I can just speak to kind of us that this, this overlays the the agreement that the tour has with travelers through 2030. So, but are there oh. going to be nuances to this? I am sure there's going to be, there has been every year, right? To the playoffs, mm-hmm. to, to different things. So, um, but this was not a, this was not a one-year situation.
0: Got it. And just generally, I mean, as you've been sitting here watching mm. the um, developments with live and everything over the last year or two, I mean, it's a crazy time in professional golf and it's still all getting sort it out and we'll see where it all sort of ends up and i'm just sort of curious as you've someone who's you know got such a long tenure with a tournament and obviously you know the people that tour well you know the tour itself the structure well and everything kind of just what has your thoughts been as you've been watching all this over the last year or so it's kind of an unprecedented time for professional
1: golf it, it, it really is i mean it's it, and what's what's weird. Oh, well, gosh, how do I answer this? There's So many different ways I want to answer this. Um, when this was all going on, this was like, I remember, I mean, like, I know these guys, right? Like yeah, I remember talking course. to Bubba, Bubba about this and, and it was like, how, like, it, it, what do you do with that kind of money? Right. And especially right. with something like a Bubba, I mean, like how he and Angie, I mean, the, the, how much they give back, and like, I yeah. mean, they're building orphanages in Mexico. Like, they're doing right. these amazing things. Right, and right. All of a sudden, if you have this chance to do something at just this grander scale, or Brooks, you know, and, and 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 Bryson, it's like that was such a an opportunity for them that I don't fault them for it. I personally just am, you know, I believe in a different impact in our community. I just had a different mindset where I was like, sure. look. I, I don't know that I'd ever want to go work for live but I understand why these players are going right. but then there was there was the business side of it but then there was the personal side of it too where I'm like man I'm not going to see Baba again it doesn't right, look like right, and like, right. and I would text him and be like man I'm sad you know like I'm, <laughs> I'm taking pictures of his picture I'm like I like am I going to see you again you know so there was this human element where sure. like I saw him at the Masters this year and I just gave him a big hug I'm like I, like I just miss you like there's no, like I mean I take all the live stuff out of it like I just miss seeing you And so like, there's that piece of it, but like, I don't, I don't fault the guys. I just don't know what that business model is going to do. I don't know how it's sustainable. I like, I just, there's so much I don't know about it, but then it was also so weird because I mean, at the time, like Bryson was committed to our event and then a week before he goes to live Brooks was checked into his house on Monday of our tournament week and signs with live on Tuesday and just vacates the house.
0: Oh my gosh. I
1: mean like, so this stuff is happening real time for us. Like the year that I'm like, Oh my gosh. But I guess, but what I was telling people, I was like, look, we never know who's going to be in our field. Right. Like I'm always like, well, these guys will be here. These guys won't be here. Like you just never know. So like when live was coming along, it's like, these are just guys that I know won't be in my field, but we're still going to have a good tour event. But I I honestly just don't know what it's, you know, what the future holds. I mean, I, 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 we have had to take a big step back and just be like, "Look, what can we control, and let's focus on that." Like, we I mean, even with all the stuff with the PIF and right, you know, with with Jay and what he's well, saying and the, and the whole said,
0: framework like, agreement and everything. Right?
1: Yeah, I mean, we said, "Look, I we could probably debate lots of things for hours, but here, here's what I know: we're gonna host an event the third week in June. We're gonna impact this many charities. We're gonna raise this much money. Like, like here's what we know, you know. And outside of that, like." they might tell us things are going to impact us, but uh, we really had to try so hard to focus on what we could control because there were so many things we could speculate on that at the end of the day, like we were just exhausted. We're like, you know what it, like we just, and and it's fortunately or unfortunately, some of it happened so close to our event. We couldn't speculate all year. It was like, we, like when the guys were going to live, that was happening like tournament week. It's like, guys, we got a tournament to run. And then this year when stuff was happening, it was early June. Like when, the framework agreement framework
0: agreement came out right it was
1: 18 days away from the travelers championship so it was kind of a blessing and a curse the blessing in the sense that we're like we have to put on an event you know it's not like we're a year from now and we can speculate about this so um but i tell you what man i've had more people just talk about golf than ever before in my life like people ask me about things i'm like People who didn't even know what I did for a living—they're like, "Hey, what do you think about live and Bryce?" I'm like, "You don't even know who that is, you know? (laughs) You know what do you mean?" And so, I mean, it has brought the golf conversation, you know, into I think different types of living rooms and and things like that. But I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, what I said at the beginning of this conversation, like I'm a I'm a sucker for what golf does. I'm a sucker for what it means to the communities. I'm a uh, I take off my badge and I stuff it in my pocket on Saturday of tournament week and walk through the crowds and listen to people. And yeah. I listen to how excited they are. I listen to kids talk about memories that they're seeing. I I, I I look at parents going how proud they are that Connecticut can put this on. Like, I just, I love what this thing, these things mean for communities and like, and this is happening all over the country. So there's a lot of noise, but at the end of the day, there's some amazing stuff happening, and there's millions of dollars going back to incredible organizations and causes because of PGA tournaments. There's no other sport that that happens, you right. know, and so that's why I honestly don't know what else I would do. I, I really don't, because at the end of the day, like that's that's a real impact, and and I love being a part of it.
0: Well, listen, um, you know the, the the tournament travelers are they're lucky they have you because. You may not know what else you would do, but what you do, you do it exceptionally well. And it's been it's just a great tournament every year. I mean, the one thing, you know, as you and I were talking a little bit offline is it's always been, I think, super well supported by the community, you know, Mm -hmm. going back when it was the G.H.O. and. And yeah. back when it was the insurance city open, I'll go even further back yeah. um, into the 50s. But, um, and it's a great facility at the natural amphitheater, and you know, really the 18th is. Hall. I mean, you guys um, and the excitement, you know, the drivable par four on the back, the water, yeah. and, you know, it's just, it's a great venue. And, and you've had some, you know, certainly some great moments there. So, hey, Nathan, I want to thank you so much for spending the time. This has been a lot of fun for me, a little bit of, memory lane for me uh, going back. And, um, you know, one thing I, I, before I I meant to ask you, so I, I, because, well, I'll let get you out of here on this. Go back to your wife, Carmen, your kids, you know, so West Hartford's your home. So you had never been north (laughs) of Washington, D.C., and you kind of, what, stumbled into West Hartford Center, uh, right, on that first trip. And this is, again, this is really local stuff. No one listening to this, unless they're from Connecticut will know this, but West Hartford, uh, where I grew up, where where Nathan lives now, wonderful town. There's this Blueback Square that you know has yeah. been developed, but that was even before then. I think it was probably right before then. It right before. And, it, and, right and it so before. you stumble into West Hartford Center, my old haunts, and um, you said, "Well." if you can get me a house near here, this should
1: work, right? I, I love the fact that you did your research. So she did, we're, we're driving around. We we literally had no idea where to live. It was like, is it going to be new Haven? Is it going to be Springfield? Like we don't even know which direction to go in. And we, we literally took an exit to like pull a U-turn or something. And we end up near the, the town center. And like you said, I mean, if you have been to West Hartford, it is such a charming little town. Is, yeah. We pull in there It's a spring day, <clears throat> like I said, our son's two months old. And all of these families are walking through the middle of town. They're 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 having lunch, uh, you know, sidewalk lunches and dogs right. and pets, and it was like Mayberry. And right. like literally, and for those of listeners who are too young, please go look up Mayberry. But I mean, <laughs> it was um, it was beautiful. And literally, my wife says, "Put like if we live within walking distance of this, like it's going to be great here." And sure enough, we have moved four times, all within walking distance. <laughs> Of the of the town center. I mean, we've stayed in West Hartford since 05. We have absolutely loved it. I mean, you know it. You grew up here. You, you, I know you have fond memories, but if you were ever in Connecticut and you get a chance to, to be a part of West Hartford, the players actually are starting to stay there now. They're migrating from downtown Hartford to West Hartford. We had, we had C, CBS actually put all their crew there this year. Really? Um, had probably 30 players stay there and I had players going is this like this is Connecticut like it, it's just it's so much fun I'm like yeah gonna run around the corner you know like I feel like the mayor but um yeah no she said uh, you put me within walking distance and we'll be happy here and here we are 19 years later and, and it's so- a
0: wonderful it's- place exactly to grow right. up a wonderful place for your family I'm sure right. so um I, I love that uh, and I always love going back um so yeah. hey thank you so much for the time. This has been really great, really appreciated and continued success with the tournament and uh, all the best.
1: Larry, thank you very much for the time. Appreciate what you're doing. Like I said, what you're doing for the game, the people that you bring on, the guests you bring on, just thanks for what you're doing. It was an absolute pleasure to spend this time with you.
0: Thank you, sir.